Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. Uh, we'll be talking about state of the church. This is something that I felt led to do a few months ago. I've had time to think about it and pray about it. You know, we've been in a lot of change, have we not? The past two years of our lives collectively have been anything but ordinary. Uh, we've seen things that we probably haven't seen before or at least seen in a long time. And uh, I do want to talk about the vision of the church today. One of my favorite Corey Ten Boom uh, quotes, and uh, she survived, you know, um, the concentration camp uh, there in Germany in her day and time. She said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. And I love that because that could summarize the past two years of what we've all experienced. There's so many things going on in the world. We, we can't quite make sense of things fast enough. There's so many variables that we can't control. There's so much unknown things about the future. But here's the thing I want to give you as a point of reference, as a rock, as a foundation, and that is never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. God's still on the throne. God's still in charge. He's still in control. And history is still His story. He started it all, and He will be the one to end it all. Another, another favorite quote of mine, and there's a thread here, is from Viktor Frankl. And if you know anything about Viktor Frankl, you'll know that he too survived the concentration camps in Germany back in the day. Uh, going through something like that gives you perspective nonetheless. Viktor Frankl said this. He said, everything can be taken from a man but one thing. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances to choose one's way. Think about that. You know, we live in a world where we can lose everything. We can lose our wealth, we can lose our possessions, we can lose a job, we can lose friends, we can lose family members because they, you know, they go to be with Jesus. We can lose everything, but we don't lose our will. And our will gives us a choice to say, how am I going to respond to this? Biblically, we know what Job did. Job said, you know, blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, He giveth, He taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Um, but you and I have a choice of how we will respond uh, to the situations we face. And I feel like that has been the challenge for the past couple of years. Uh, one of my favorite stories that John Maxwell told is a, a man who came across three bricklayers that were busy at work and he asked the first bricklayer, he said, what are you doing? He says, I'm laying bricks. And then he asked the second worker, you know, what are you doing? And he says, I'm putting up a wall. And then he asked the third one one more time. He says, what are you doing? He says, I'm building a cathedral. Now, when you look at those three people and you look at those three responses, it really shows and illustrates where people are today. You see, the first bricklayer is working for a paycheck. And, you know, after all that we've gone through, you can talk to some people and they're just doing what they've always done. You know, I'm working, I'm going to school, I'm, you know, I'm raising a family, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And that's, that's it. 
And the second bricklayer said, I'm, uh, you know, putting up a wall. He's trying to complete a task. You know, he's got a little bit more context. I'm building a wall here. And, you know, some people are more contextual. And they're like, yeah, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. But the third bricklayer, he said, I'm building a cathedral. That's someone that has vision. Vision. And you and I in today's world, even though the unknown is so you know, expansive now before us, we need to have a sense of vision and purpose of where we are, who we are, what God has called us to do, and how He's leading us forward, and most important of all, that He is with us. Uh, there's a verse in Proverbs twenty nine eighteen. It says, Without revelation, people run wild, but one who follows divine instruction will be happy. Um, you're probably better acquainted with the King James Version of that same verse. Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keeps the law, happy is he. And I love that. Where there is no vision, the people perish. You and I need vision. You've heard me for a few months now talk about our disciple-making pathway. And we've got that graphic, go ahead and bring it up. But our disciple-making pathway is what we believe that God has called us to do. Uh, I think uh, during the, the COVID era that we've been in, I think churches have got to pivot from um, a menu of all kinds of programs. Hey, we do this, 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 and this. Just come and be a part of it to a map that illustrates a process of here is where we are, here's where we're going, this is what we're trying to do. And so we're making that pivot from a menu of programs to a map that, that lays out a process of what God has called us to do. We want people to come to know God, find community, serve others, and make disciples. Now, I don't know if we've ever really looked at that. Uh, I mean, I know we have, but... We don't look at it enough. And so today I want to build a biblical foundation for that right there. So let's look at no God. No God is based on the priority of the gospel. What's the gospel? It literally means good news. What's the good news? Well, 1 Timothy 1.15, this, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul says, and I am the worst. So here's a saying that was in the early church. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He says that is a trustworthy saying, and you need to fully accept it. Why? Because it's a gospel statement, okay? Christ came to save sinners like you and like me. And the good news is Jesus saves. He will save anyone who's willing to come to Him. He can save us from death, hell, and the grave. He can save us from the judgment of God. He can save us from sin. And so knowing God is based on the priority of the gospel, and that is the good news that Jesus saves. John 17 says it this way, verse 3, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. So eternal life is about knowing God. Not knowing about God, but knowing God. Sometimes people miss heaven by 18 inches. They have head knowledge. They can quote you um, Bible verses, 
They know all the Sunday school answers. They know how to act in church. They can walk a good uh, they can walk a good walk because they know how to talk a good talk. But in their heart, they've never, you know, received Christ as their Lord and Savior. It is knowledge, but it is not understanding in the true sense. You know, I uh, I am a Peyton Manning football fan. Of course, he's now retired, and following him from his days at uh, University of Tennessee. And then when he became a Colt, and then he finally grew up and became a Bronco. You'll get that in a minute. And he ended up with a great Hall of Fame career. Well, you know, I know a lot of things about Peyton Manning. I, you know, I can, you know, tell you about his Super Bowls and, of course, the, you know, the ones he's lost and so on and so forth. But I don't know Peyton Manning. I can't whip out my phone and say, hey, I'm going to call Peyton Manning because I don't know him. I just know about him. And that's the difference between knowing God, having a relationship with Him personally, and knowing about God. And so we want people to come to know God, and that is rooted in the gospel. The second thing is find community. Find community. Um, what do we mean by that? Well, you know, a lot of times people will come to church and Maybe they're wanting to get more involved, but they don't know how. And uh, they, they want to get to know other people. And they're like, well, where do I start? Or, or maybe they'll come to a church for a long time and they never really feel the connection and they go somewhere else. When it comes to being in Christ, we love God and we love others. Fine community is rooted in the greatest commandment. Okay, The greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love others. Uh, as yourself. Uh, Mark 12 says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other command greater than these. Matter of fact, Matthew's version says that all of the law, all of the prophets hang on these two commands, loving God and loving people. And so you see uh, how this shaped the early church. Matter of fact, if you go to Acts 2, uh, in Jerusalem, the, the first church of Jerusalem there, the early church in Acts 2.42, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The context of those four things that they were devoted to was community. They gathered regularly to study the apostles' teaching, which is another way to say study the Word of God. They did it together. They... Um, they fellowship together. They broke bread together. And they prayed together. The context of it was community. When you get saved, you become a part of the body of Christ, the body of believers. And you now have God as your Father and you have other believers as your brothers and sisters in Christ. First John lays out a powerful principle that reinforces community. In 1 John 4.19, it says, We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from Him, the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. You see, we live in a world where we like to compartmentalize things we don't understand or don't want to accept. And here he's telling us 
that you need each other. You can't say, I love God and I'll go to church when I want. You can't find that in the Bible. Oh, I love God, I'll just go to church when I want, or I'll go to church, but I really don't like those people. Okay? And so you, you, can't, you can't say that. You and I have God as our Father, and we have other believers as our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we need one another. And what does that look like as a congregation? That's why we have small group Bible study. You know what it is, Sunday school. That's why we have that, where people can get together in groups. They can get to know each other's names and faces. They can begin to have conversations with each other around God's Word and the understanding of the Word of God, the understanding of the cross of Christ, the understanding of what He's done in my life and what He's done in your life. That creates this framework and understanding that I have God as my Father and I have other believers as my brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is what the family of God looks like. This is what the body of Christ looks like. We come together in the context of community. And it's so very important. That's why we say you need to move from rows like this to circles like you see in our, in our classrooms. The next thing is to serve others. Going back to our, our, our pathway, serve others. Why is serving so important? I want to tell you something. I've realized this as a pastor, and the longer I pastor, the more I realize this. You don't want to tell people to come to church and just sit. You want to get them in the game. There is so much to do in the church. There is so much to do in the kingdom of God. Now, the, for those of you that are worried when I say that, let me say this. There is a difference between ministry and leadership, okay? Leadership has a higher standard. But when it comes to ministry, we all need to be serving. We all need to be doing something for the Lord. And this roots the, this is rooted in the priority of God's grace. I don't know what else to call it other than God's grace. I mean, think about it. It is God's grace that He not only saves me, but then He says, I want to use you. I not only want to work in you, but now I want to work through you, and I want to bless you to make you a blessing to someone else. That is God's grace, and that's what uh, serving others is rooted in, the priority of God's grace. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter 4.10. He said, just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. So there you have a gift you've been given. Use it to serve others, and if you do, you're a good steward of what? God's grace. There it is, God's grace. You and I are stewards of God's grace. God has been so good to us. He's been so gracious to us that we ought to serve Him and serve others. Ephesians 4 says it this way, in the context of a, of a, of a church, of a congregation, of an organization, it says in Ephesians 4.11, And He, referring to Christ, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And what did He give those leaders for? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son, growing in maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. And you know what? I, I, I'm thankful for a pastor in Tennessee years ago at a breakout session at the Tennessee Baptist Convention for teaching us Ephesians 4, 11 uh, through 13. He basically said, we understand the leadership part. 
He says, most of you in this room have been called to, to, lead, to be a leader of Christ, a spiritual leader in your congregation. And we've heard so many times, verse 12, how leaders are to equip members to do the work of the ministry. And we would all agree with that. But then he said, look at verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith, knowledge of the Son of God, and growing in maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. And he said these words. He says, how many churches today are growing in unity and maturity? Think about that. How many churches are growing in unity and maturity? And then he said this, if you find one, what you will find is that the leaders are equipping the, men, uh, the members to do the work of ministry. Why? Because nobody likes to sit on the bench. Nobody likes to sit on the bench and watch the game. We want to be actively involved in this thing called life. And you know what? When God saves you, He doesn't save you to just sit on that pew and come every week for the next 50 years. He's got more in store for you than just that. He's done a work in you. And then the big reveal comes when He says, I want to do a work through you. I want to use you to reach someone else. I've blessed you to be a blessing. And you'll never be satisfied. You'll never be fulfilled until you get into the game. I believe that's one reason why sometimes people go from church to church. It, you, you, you're chasing the kumbaya moment when you need to say, Lord, I'm here to serve and, and show up and serve. And then you grow in unity. You grow in maturity. Why? Because you're seeing God work in you. You're seeing God work through you. And you're seeing it in others. And it's exciting. It's so exciting. You know, here at um, Pleasant Hill, we've got teams. We've got teaching teams for those that are gifted and called to teach. And they teach uh, different age groups at different times in a variety of ways. Then we've got ministry teams uh, that usually are targeted to a certain, uh, you know, um, a group of people. And um, um, those ministry teams serve in that way. And then we've got service teams. And service teams, those are ones that tend to be kind of seasonal. They tend to be short-term. They need to be, they, they're, they're based on, you know, a sudden need that happens and they meet that need. So we've got all kinds of ways for you to get involved and serve. The last part of our pathway is make disciples. Make disciples is rooted in the priority of the Great Commission. Now, listen to the Great Commission. You've heard it before, Matthew 28, 18, 18 through 20. But let me emphasize parts of it when I read. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples. That's what it's about. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything. Now, I love education. Y'all know that. And what I've had to learn through the years is I've had to reprogram my brain. I still remember Dr. Jim Booth at um, Murray State University years ago when I was getting my master's degree. It was a communication class in educational environments, and we were all in, in there, and half of us were communication majors. The other half were education majors. And he stood up in front of the class, and he said, all right. He says, what do you teach? 
And without exception, all of the teachers raised their hand, and he called on them one by one, history, math, English, so on and so on. Anybody else, what do you teach? None of the communication majors said anything. We're like, here it comes. Don't know what it is, but here it comes. And in typical fashion, Dr. Booth said, you don't teach subjects. You teach students. And he had me at hello. I grabbed my pen and I went, oh yeah, this is going to be good. And uh, was so good. Because see, I say that to say this. When you read the Great Commission, make disciples is the imperative. The participles are baptizing them and teaching them and as you're going. But then when it talks about teaching them, it doesn't say teach them theology, teach them everything in the Bible. What does it say? It says teach them to observe everything. What are we teaching? We're teaching obedience. We're teaching obedience. In other words, when we teach people the Word of God, we're teaching them not to know it, not to understand it, We're teaching them to do it, to obey it. And that takes a lifetime. It does. It takes a lifetime. I don't always apply everything I know. And then the Holy Spirit will remind me of that, and that's called conviction. 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul, uh, as an older... um, man of God was talking to Timothy, a young man of God, and he said, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, in that one uh, sentence, you see four generations. You see Paul, who discipled Timothy, who was told to disciple faithful men who will teach others also. Four generations. When you and I make disciples, it will be like a family tree for Jesus. You know, we are pouring our life into other people and making disciples, and they go out and do likewise and make disciples, and they go out and likewise make disciples, and someday, one day, we'll stand before God, and then we'll see our spiritual tree. And if we, if we had a heart to obey the Great Commission, and make disciples, and teach people to obey, then we will see how God used us to affect a Paul who affected a Timothy, who affected others, who affected others. Spiritual generations. That's where some people look at an apple, and they only see an apple. Some people look at an apple, and they see the seeds in that apple, and they see orchards. It's all about vision. Well, with that said... Let me kind of wrap this up because I really wanted to focus on the disciple-making pathway. But I've got, I've got some takeaways today that I want to share with you quickly. As we face the future, what do I believe God has called us to do? Well, I've got four things and I'll make them fast. Number one, pray for the Lord's direction and discernment. Pray for the Lord's direction and discernment. You know, I've been praying for a few months now And I believe that God is calling us to be a disciple-making church. That's it in a nutshell, that we are going to make disciples. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, I do know this, that when you begin to make disciples, because you're making disciples, you're going to create a leadership pipeline. And I don't know of a single pastor or a single church that ever says they have too many leaders. It just doesn't happen. And um, the Lord laid on my heart back at the beginning of the summer 
to teach a teaching series, 10 weeks, on biblical leadership, elders and deacons. To give you an update on that, I had met with the deacons before I taught it, and then after I taught it, I met with the deacons again. And with their blessing and support, uh, we're going to look at, in the near future, creating a transition team to look more closely at biblical elders and deacons. Because when you look at the New Testament, when you look at how the church is organized, there are leaders that shepherd, there are servants who serve, and we need both. And we're going to take the time to look more closely at that in detail, and then at the appropriate time after they've done the appropriate work, we'll bring that before the body for presentation and for feedback. That won't be a quick fix. That will be a long, prayed-out process. But that's where we are on that, and I want you to pray for the Lord's direction and the Lord's discernment. Number two, practice the four steps of our our disciple-making pathway. Practice the four steps of our disciple-making pathway. Everything you're going to hear from me is going to be a broken record, and I'm okay with that. I've learned that once you become the broken record, that's when... When I get sick of talking about something, that's when people are starting to go, oh, you're talking about the disciple-making pathway. Yes. You know, in today's world where we're constantly bombarded by hundreds and thousands of messages all the time, uh, we have to stay on message to remind people of why we're here, what God has called us to do. We want people to know God, find community, serve others, and make disciples. And quite frankly, we want to pivot away from being a church that has a menu of all kinds of things to do and all kinds of programs, and we want to move toward having a map that shows the process of here's where we are, here's where we're headed, and here is how we get there so that people know that we have a vision. Uh, We're building a cathedral. Uh, We are making disciples of Jesus Christ, and it starts when people know God, find community, serve others, and make disciples. Um, The third thing I want to share with you is pursue gospel conversations and ministry partnerships. Now, I think we always have to go back to the gospel. It's the good news of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Christ came to save sinners like me and like you. And we always have to go back and make that priority number one. And you know, in our culture today, We've tried different things at different times, but the bottom line is we need to engage people in gospel conversations. We want to be more deliberate about that in the future. I know the Kentucky Baptist Convention has got a gospel to every home. We have signed up for that, and Lord willing, very soon we'll start doing that. If you like, uh, if you like getting out into the community and meeting people and sharing Uh, gospel tracts and and having gospel conversations, I want you to come see me sometime. We would like to do that as a regular practice, develop a rhythm maybe once a month and do that, okay? And then, of course, it says um, to pursue ministry partnerships. I think so many times we we try to new new things. I've been guilty of this, okay? I've been guilty of this where you, you get a great idea and you, and you want to do something, and then you realize after the fact that there's somebody already in our community that is doing that. And wouldn't it be a better use of stewardship, time, influence, and opportunity to partner with them and come alongside them and help them do that? I know one year uh, when I first came, we did a, um, a school back uh, program uh, for the local schools, which is a great idea. 
but then after we learned a few things, we said, you know, we're going to partner with a school because they know the kids better, they know the needs better, and we'll just do that. And that's an example of what I'm talking about. So having these ministry partnerships. The last thing is this, as we face the future, let's promote a disciple-making culture. A disciple-making culture. Now, what does that look like? Well, I, I would say it goes back to four things, and, and here's what they are. Number one, a biblical foundation. A, um, a disciple-making culture is always going to be based on the Bible. What does the Bible say? Everything we're trying to do in our pathway, know God, find community, um, serve others, make disciples. I've just showed you how it's rooted in the gospel. It's rooted in the greatest commandment. It's rooted in God's grace, and it's rooted in the Great Commission. So it's a biblical foundation. The second thing you got to have when you have a disciple-making culture is you got to have an intentional leader, a leader that says, here is where we are, and by the grace of God, here is where we're going. you got to have a leader that has a map in his head and not a menu in his hand. Hey, just come. We'll, make, you know, we'll just do all kinds of stuff. we got to channel our focus like a laser and focus on the bullseye of the gospel. Another way you develop a disciple-making culture is you got to have a relational environment. And I love that we are moving in that direction. You know, even though this is one-way communication, I'm talking and I'm the only one talking, we have this opportunity to come together every week. We have um, Sunday school that meets before this. We've got D groups that are meeting throughout the week in the community. And we've got uh, other Bible studies and classes that we have. We need those relational environments. And then, of course, the next thing is a reproducible process. At the end of the day, if we're going to make disciples of Jesus Christ, we've got to have a reproducible process. And that's what our pathway is. Know God, find community, serve others, make disciples. And then even within that, when you look at tactics and strategies, we want to make it reproducible so that you know what to do. And when you share that with someone else, they see it, they understand it, they know it, and they can reproduce that. And that's what you need. And so that's what we're looking at doing as we look at where we are today, where we're headed in the future. I would ask you, church, to pray about these things. I'm really excited about what God's doing. Uh, You know, I've been here six years, and quite frankly, I feel like I'm just getting started. When you look at at churches that have long uh, leadership tenures, you're able to look at what you have and you're able to add value you're at you're able to make adjustments and improvements that you don't get when you get new leadership every three years every four years and so i'm excited about where we are i'm excited about where we're going and i'm excited about what god has shown us so far and we'll do this together it's a process it's a walk of faith we live by faith not by sight and so i just want to challenge you today to seek the Lord. So let me close with this and then I'll be done. Go back to that pathway graphic, if you will, Lisa. And as uh, she puts that pathway graphic up on the screen, I want you to look at it. And I simply want to ask you the question, where are you in this pathway? Let's start with the green. Do you know God? Now, I didn't ask you how long you've come to church. I said, do you know God? Not talking about God, knowing all the right answers, but do you know the Lord? If you don't, 
that's your first step, and it's the most important step. For those of you that can say, yes, Brother Corey, I know the Lord. I've known Him for a long time. Well, praise God. The next thing is, are you finding community? Are you connecting with a group of brothers and sisters in Christ? We all need it, you know? We all need it. And so, make sure you find a group. we got plenty of Sunday school classes. Lord willing, here's a problem I like to have, Danny. Start new Sunday school classes, right? Because there's always more people to reach. There's always more people to, to find a place for. And so, we need that community. Okay, what about serving others? Maybe I'm talking to some of you now and you're going to go, uh-oh, here it comes. Maybe you've been in church a long time. Maybe you've known the Lord for a long time. But are you serving? Are you serving? Can I say it this way, and I'm going to say it as loving as I know how? When it comes to the retirement of God, there are no unemployment benefits. There are no retirement plans. Isn't that right? He calls us to serve, and we serve until we die. So what if you can't do what you used to do? Don't fret over what you can't do the way you used to do. Look at what you can do and do that. I always loved the little boy that brought his sack lunch to Jesus. He was too young. Nobody's going to listen to him. Get out of my way. He's, he's in my way. And this little kid said, hey, I got a lunch. I want to give it to Jesus. And this little boy gave his lunch to Jesus, and Jesus took it, and what did he do? He multiplied it, and it fed the whole crowd. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what little you think you have. Little is much when God's in it. Focus on what you can do for Jesus and do that. Do that. I'm telling you, God saves you and does a work in you. And then He calls you to serve so that He can do a work through you. And I'm just saying, I don't want you to miss that. That's the thing that I love doing about what I love most about what I do, okay, is that I'm doing something that I know God's called me to do. He did a work in me a long time ago. He's still doing a work in me. But now he says, if you'll do what I want you to do, now I can work through you. And that's awesome. I can't think of a better thing to do with my time and my talent and my treasure. And that's what I want for you. And then the last thing is make disciples. Now, those of you who have been in church for a long time, how many preachers have you ever had, quote, the Great Commission and say, we've got to make disciples? Every one of them if they're worth their salt. But here's the thing. What's the plan? How are we going to do it? What's step one? What do we do on day one? What do we do at the end of week one? What do we do after the first month? What's our plan? Like, show me in concrete operational terms, what are we supposed to do? And you know what normally happens then? That. It gets real quiet real quick. What I'm excited about, and what we've been doing now for a couple of years, is disciple groups. We have uh, disciple groups, D groups. And it's three to four or five people in a disciple group. Women with women, men with men. And we have a reproducible process that anybody can do and anybody can follow. And what's great about a disciple group that makes it different from a Bible study 
a Sunday school class, or even a small group, all these terms we use in the church world. What makes a disciple group so unique is remember the Great Commission? Remember when it says teaching them to obey? Remember when Dr. Booth said you don't teach subjects, you teach students? Remember when I said that we're not just teaching God's Word, we're teaching people to do it, to put it into practice? Well, in order to do that, you have to be in a group of three to five people where you can all fit around a table, you can trust each other, you can be transparent with one another, you share God's Word, you share your life, and you encourage one another, you pray for each other, and you challenge each other to obey God's Word, and you do it together. And you might say, well, I think we do that in our Bible study. I might make you mad when I say this, but I'll say, no, you don't. You can quote me on that. What do you mean? Here's the thing. When you get more than six or seven people in a group, they're not all going to talk. You can quote me on that. They're not all going to talk. When you only have three to five people around a table, everybody's expected to talk, and everybody has time to talk, and everybody will have an opportunity to talk, and they will talk because it's such a small group. Once you get past that number, it begins to wane, okay? Experience says that. Research says that. And so that's why I say that, and I say that unequivocally, okay? Prove me wrong. But here's the thing. What I want you to see is we have a plan for making disciples, and we want to see more and more people get involved in discipleship groups. You can meet anywhere at any time. You don't have to be a leader. You don't have to be a teacher. You have a reproducible process. You get two, three, four at most other people. You meet regularly. You share your life. You share God's Word. You encourage one another. You challenge each other. You pray for each other. And you begin to put into practice the teaching to obey part, which is really the heartbeat of the Great Commission. So many times we nod our head and wink at the Great Commission. And we settle for decisions and we settle for baptisms. And then we pat ourselves on the back and say, all right, we've done it. No, we've just started. We've just started. So anyway, all that to say is this. Today, I want you to pray about what I've shared. I want you to look at this pathway. And as we come to a close and get ready for the invitation this morning, where are you on the pathway? And wherever you are, I pray that you will Follow the prompt of the Holy Spirit and do what He's calling you to do. Let's all stand as our musicians come. Let's pray. Father, we come before You right now. Thank You for this time in Your Word. And Lord, I pray for each and every person that's here and those that are listening, Father. I pray that You'd speak to our hearts. I pray that You would have Your way in our lives. Lord, I pray that we would all be able to come to know You, find community in the family of God, serve others, and make disciples of Jesus Christ. Lord, have your will and your way in this service. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.